0: It's a, it's a season called Lent. A season, the word means to lengthen. It refers to spring and the lengthening of the days. It's a season of waiting. And um, it's a season that tends to be rehearsed, practiced, engaged in, in more higher church traditions. And when I say higher church, I don't mean like up on a hill, but like Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, more traditional Methodist environments. Participate in Lent. Whereas many other Protestant denominations, Pentecostal, uh, Wesleyan, and I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and some of these other, uh, even, even in Baptist churches, a lot of times we have defined ourselves simply by being not Catholic. Like, so if Catholics do it, we don't. Sometimes when I start to talk about Lent among people who are not in a Catholic church, which you obviously are not, um, they look at me like, well, isn't that Catholic? Isn't that what they do? And I, why are you talking about it? Why are we talking about it? You know, for me, I've been practicing Lent for uh, probably somewhere between 15 and 20 years. And it has been the, the singular, most powerful, continued practice in developing my faith. In transforming my soul, and in my habits, and in who I am. I can't overstate what it has meant to take 40 days each year near the beginning of the year to focus my energy and time in opening up to who God wants me to be and in asking him to shape me, to guide me. And it's been the season when I've overcome grief. It's been a a season when I dealt with, uh, honestly, when I write. So when Lent, sorry, uh, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to um, Lent was a season for me, and when it became most powerful was uh, the season after a through a divorce. Uh, my ex-wife left one day. She said, "I don't love you. I don't know that I ever did, and I'm I'm leaving in the morning." And um, it, it was it was pretty devastating. In January, uh, a few months later, the the divorce was filed. And Lent began, and I was I was broken. I didn't know who it was or what I, what God was calling to. I was kind of mad at Him like God, I did the whole pastor thing, went to school, did what you asked me to do, and this is what I get for it. Like, you know, the kind of weird arguments we try to give God sometimes. And um, it was in this season as I as I fasted, as I came weekly and received communion and entered into this conversation with him that I discovered healing in his path. I discovered his grace in a new way. I discovered that um, he had not given up or written me off. And it was not, um, you know, it was a a year later after that Lent that uh, I met Anita and life began to change in some of the most wonderful ways that I could never have imagined. And um, I'm so grateful for that opportunity, but it began in Lent for me in opening up even those painful places, the things that I didn't necessarily want to open up at all, and opening them up to God through fasting, and um, and so Lent means a lot to me, and I teach it. I've taught it with middle school kids and taught them to practice Lent. When I was a middle school pastor, whether the whole church did it or not. We did it with teenagers, and as I've led in, in church ministries we teach it But I want you to hear this today. This is pure invitation, not obligation. I think if you've been around here more than a month or so, you you understand that's how we operate. Here's a is is an invitation. Really, it's an invitation to the hungry, uh, to the thirsty. It's an invitation to the broken. An invitation to all who would say, "I just I want to go deeper with God." I want to understand him more. I want to let him have more of who I am and walk more closely with him. And you know, maybe in a season of contentment right now, or maybe a different kind of season, and maybe this is not something you you want to do. There's no judgment in that. There's no judgment if you start it and it's too hard and you quit. There's just an invitation. In First Peter, we find these words. It's First Peter chapter one. It's toward the end of the Bible. Right before we get to the very end, there's three letters from Peter to the churches and in uh 1st Peter chapter 1 he writes this in verse 13 Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. When I go fishing, I usually do it in one of two small boats that are easily blown around by the wind <laughs> if I'm not careful. Um, we have a little eight-foot plastic boat called a Bass Hunter, except we hunt crappie in that. Crappie is the kind of fish, for those of you who don't know fish, that is very delicious and wonderful. If you've never had it, let me know. I'll be glad to help remedy that problem. But anyway, uh, we, we go fish uh, from time to time. And um, on Sunday, last Sunday, Noah helped me change the shocks on the truck afterwards. He so, said, hey, we'll go fishing this week if you want. Monday rolled around, the temperature jumped up, the sun came out, but there was one problem. The wind was blowing somewhere between 20 and 30 miles per hour. That's pretty hard for just about any boat to deal with, but a little eight-foot plastic boat is going to get blown around like a paper toy. I told Noah, I said, it's kind of windy. He said, Dad, I know it's windy, and I know that wind is cold, but I just want to get out on the water. I don't even care if we catch anything. Okay. Absolutely. So we get out on the water. It's not too bad. We get to a spot we want to fish, and the wind blows, and I'm doing everything I can to keep that boat off the bank because every time we get to where we want to be, the wind would blow and blow us somewhere we didn't want to be. So we just kind of went and picked one corner of the little lake and let the wind blow us to the other corner and fished our way across, hoping we might find something. Or I spent the whole time trying to guide the boat around and hopefully keep it somewhere where Noah could catch something. Thankfully, Noah kept the skunk off the boat. I didn't catch anything. I was too busy fighting with the the wind. but, But Noah kept the skunk off the boat. Again, if you're not sure, you don't want skunk on the boat. Skunk stinks. Hard to get off. Skunk just means you didn't catch anything. You never want to take a boat out and not catch anything. So he kept the skunk off the boat, and we did all right. But we kept getting blown into places we didn't want to be, places where we were fighting the bank or or dealing with too shallow a water or just somewhere we knew the fish weren't. And it was really frustrating. And I got to think, that's really how life tends to get, isn't it? The winds of busyness blow, the winds of the pressures of work, the winds of life just keep blowing and so often without us working intentionally, we get blown into places we don't even want to be. We tried to be here and we took let our guard down for a moment and we let down our focus and we just got blown into somewhere else. Sometimes it's, it's the winds of consumerism that tell us we need to buy something else we need something and we go chasing after all of this stuff and before long we realize like this isn't what do I do with all this stuff now? We buy extra storage, we rent storage to store stuff we don't need and we end up with all this stuff. Other times it's it's just our work. It just gets so much pressure And the stress of it and the effort of it until it zaps every bit of mental and emotional energy we have. And we don't have time for God and we don't have time to be kind to those around us. Because we've just been zapped of that energy. And we're not someone we want to be. It could just be the day-to-day routines of of school and the pressures of school. Or the the pressures we feel in, in parenting or even in friendships. Just life has this way of Pushing us into places we don't really want to be. Into people we don't really want to be. And we need to take time to focus. Really, I find that about now each year is when a lot of us need this most. We've come through the holidays and all of the hectic and the pressures and the stress and the family stuff of holidays. And we get into a new year, and and we, we made some resolutions, and most of them didn't stick. Maybe some of them did. And now we find ourselves in this chaotic place, more frustrated than we were on December 31st, more isolated, struggling. We need to refocus on God. We need these seasons and rhythms built into our life when our attention and our efforts get focused on our relationship with God so that we can be who we were created to be. The church realized this drifting early, early, early on, and they developed a calendar, a rhythm to the way they celebrated life together, the way they went through life together. Now, in most cultures, calendars are designed to follow the rhythms and routines of the sun or the moon, but in the church, there's a calendar designed to follow the rhythms of Jesus' life. It's centered around the three major moments in Jesus' life. His birth, his death and resurrection, and then his ascension and his pouring out of the Spirit upon human beings. The first is Christmas. The next is Easter and then Pentecost. They knew that we always need to prepare for big moments. You know what I mean? Think about... Think about some of us just had our first middle school dance. You prepared for that night. You picked out what you were going to wear. You're intentional about how you did your hair, about who you were going to go with, if you were going to go with anybody, or even if you were going to go. And you went. Now, push this even further. Think about your wedding day. Nobody comes to their wedding day unprepared. It's an important day, it's a big deal. Now guys you're like I didn't do anything. Yeah, you didn't. She'd been preparing her whole life. She had a notebook from the time she was a teenager talking about the preparations for that day. We prepare for important days. Many of us, if you've got kids, you probably had a bag packed long before you needed it for that trip to the hospital whenever it might have come. We prepare for big moments and when it comes to the the routines of spiritual life in the church calendar the, the church said we need times to prepare as well and so there's this four-week season known as advent that begins four weeks before christmas and it's a season of waiting and entering into the anticipation of jesus breaking into the world not just remembering when he broke into the world but how he might break into our lives and after after uh, Advent is Christmas, and then you have Epiphany, and then you have this season of 40 days, really it's 46, but we don't include Sundays, that's meant for preparing us for Easter. And after Easter, we have Pentecost, after the weeks of Easter, they, yeah, you didn't know in the church, they celebrate Easter for several weeks. And they celebrate Easter, we celebrate Easter, and then there's Pentecost, and that's, 50 days after Easter, and it's the day that we remember that that Jesus gave us his spirit. And after Pentecost, is known as common time, a time set for growth, living out that story in our own life. And in many parts of Christianity around the world, they rehearse this through the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every year. They tell the story every year in this rhythm. Now, and again, for those of us who grew up in traditions, it kind of said, whatever the Catholics do, we don't do that. We kind of go more spontaneous. Have, we, we are less familiar with this calendar. It doesn't mean that it's any less important for us to find ways to engage with the rhythms of Jesus' life every year. Easter is one that we will all celebrate in the church. That moment when Jesus... Is raised from the dead, overcoming sin and death and creating an opportunity for us to have a whole new life. He's described that life as so radically different, as if we began again, we were born again. And he gives us that opportunity Easter, but entering into that opportunity requires some preparation. Now it began really, really early in the time of, of the apostles that they would take 40 hours leading up to Easter for all those who were going to be baptized during Easter, and they would fast. And they saw such great value in this, they extended it to 40 days before Easter, and all believers fasting. This happens early, early on. We see it as even in the, in the first century AD, there are those who are taking 40 days to fast. So it's before, before the Catholics. That there is this tradition among God's people to fast in preparation. Now, when it really began, you would find those who would fast completely, everything but water for 40 days. And then they would come together on Sundays and the communion feast. You never fast during a feast. You never fast during a feast. That's a good thing to know, just in life in general. When it's time to feast, feast and celebrate. When it's time to fast, it's time to fast. So that would they would stop and they would fast together. And it was very important and valuable. Other times as it kept going, as they, would, they would then fast meat. All meat except for fish. Which is a connection to the whole Easter egg thing. If you are fasting all meat, then eggs are like a treat you get at Easter. Because you haven't had them in 40 days. And it was this special little thing. And then there are times... So let me go back to that. Have you ever noticed, I watch, I bet you this week at least one fast food restaurant will start advertising their fish sandwich because Lent begins this week and a lot of Catholics fast red meat, at least on Friday. When we lived up near Pittsburgh, there was this great fish market right on the river, had the best fish sandwich. You might as well not go on a Friday during Lent because it was a highly Catholic population, and they all fasted red meat on Friday, all went to the fish market for their sandwich, and you were just never going to get one. So you just didn't, didn't even bother. But you went the rest of the week. Now, so that was a part of the tradition. As it has, has grown, there's kind of been this, this uh, practice of finding something within our lives that we can sacrifice, that we can fast as a way of learning self-discipline, or as Peter framed it, self-control. Self-control. Preparing our minds and being self-controlled. In fact, self-control is what Paul lists as one of the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's what, the, it's what someone whose life is marked by God begins to look like. discipline, self-controlled. Self-control is hard. You know the hardest thing to control? is our mouth. The food we put in it and the words that come out of it. It's been said by some of the ancient fathers that if you learn to control your appetite in your mouth, you'll have the ability to control any part of your life or self. And so the church early on said this is is a part of the rhythms of how we get ready to celebrate Easter. Now because of the, the tradition that we are a part of, because of the tribe that we are, because of the the dynamic of the church that has been created in this place of people from all kinds of different backgrounds, people with, who, who have written off church, come back to church, people who have not known church. Sometimes I get questions, well, is this something I have to do? Or is this, is, is Lent in the, in the Bible? Do, do I, do, is this something I've got to do? Is this, is this really important if it's not there? And, and honestly, no, it's not something you have to do to be a good follower of Jesus. But I think those questions are the wrong question, which means you end up with the wrong answer. I think there are better questions. I won't say right questions, but better questions. A better question for a disciple of Jesus. Let me just give you a little two-second, well, be more like two minutes, but a little recap of what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of a rabbi. A rabbi in ancient times would invite a potential disciple to come follow me. But he would only do so if he believed that person could not just know what they know, but they could be who they were and one day speak on their behalf. So he was looking for people who could become what they are. So a disciple of Jesus is not simply wanting to follow the teachings of Jesus, but to become like Jesus. So a good question for a disciple is, Is did Jesus fast? Did Jesus fast for 40 days? That's a good question for a disciple. A good question for a disciple would be, would this bring me closer to Jesus? Would this help me to grow spiritually? And see, when we begin with those questions, we end up somewhere different. Because we see that Jesus Jesus didn't teach or command fasting, but he assumed it. He didn't command it, but he assumed fasting among his followers. We read in uh, in the Gospels that he uh, he said in Matthew or sorry Mark chapter six verse sixteen, he was teaching on the mountainside and he gives instructions. He says this, he gives instructions for how to fast, <laughs> and he says when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. In fact, later, later he is asked, why do your disciples not fast? He says, well, you don't, basically he says, you don't fast during the feast. You don't fast when the bridegroom is here. When I'm gone, then, then they'll fast. Now, then is now. He's not here physically. It's the time when his disciples fast in Jesus' mind. He modeled fasting when he went out to the desert for 40 days He modeled what Peter's writing about. He is getting prepared and self-controlled. He goes out into the desert before he begins to teach to prepare by fasting and spending time with God. Before he is tempted, before he goes out and does the ministry, the work that God has for him. So the, the collective response of God's people through the centuries through the centuries, has been to take these 40 days as an emulation of the 40 days of Jesus to fast as a way of getting ready. Now, we don't actually recommend that you fast all food for 40 days. If you've never fasted and you try to fast for six days straight, you're liable to end up in the hospital. It, it takes some development of skill and practices to do that. But there are all kinds of ways that we can enter into this Lenten season. I mean, because 40 days, 40 days is long, but it's so significant within the Bible. It's significant as seasons of purification and transformation, seasons of becoming. You think about Noah. Noah, it, it rained for 40 days and nights as the earth was prepared and transformed and purified. And then there's Moses who who has 40 days of fasting on the the desert Mount Sinai before he is prepared and transformed and purified to receive the Ten Commandments. And there's Elijah, Elijah the prophet, for 40 days of fasting as he traveled the desert to the mountain where he would experience God in silence. But he had to go through that preparation and that transformation, that purification so that he was ready to hear. Israel's 40 years in the desert was about God preparing them for the promised land. He had to get Egypt out of them before he could take them into the promised land. They had left Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. It's like when we start to come to him, we've come to Jesus. We've left the world, but so much of the world is still in us. And it takes some time to get that out. Jesus spent 40 days of preparation and transformation In the desert. Now if you decide to embark on this journey with us. There will be moments when these 40 days feel like the desert. Feel dry and lonely and hot and miserable. And you'll want to do anything but keep the fast. And keep going. It holds for us though such possibility and promise of time spent with God. That that purifies us through refocus and transforms our lives. See, this, this practice of discipline, it has a way of being contagious in our lives. So we choose to focus on God in this way, and it tends to spread to other areas. Have you ever noticed that? Either discipline or a lack of it is contagious in your life. When I get disciplined in my eating and I stay disciplined in my eating, I tend to be more disciplined in my exercise. I tend to be more disciplined in my relationships. I tend to be more disciplined with my time and my energy and my sleep and my emotions and my work is contagious. When I am undisciplined in one area, it tends to also be contagious and so we, we look and say, okay, there's an area we can begin to exercise some self-control. And as we do that... We do so with the hope and conviction that God will allow that self control and help that self control to spread to other areas of our lives so that we become more of who He wants us to be, who He created us to be, more of ourselves. We regain much of our humanity that we sacrifice in our pursuits, in our ragged running after everything, in our, in our over busy schedule, our overspending, overdoing life. There is something about fasting that allows us to to radically experience God. When 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 we empty ourselves of food and the barriers we've built around our heart, we discover the truth of Jesus' word. That life is not bread alone, but that the source of our life is God discover comfort in somewhere other than the refrigerator and we discover a comfort in God that is greater and deeper and stronger we discover in him and in his spirit the ability to discipline ourselves and overcome habits or addictions or difficulties or fears it teaches us to trust him it teaches us that his strength is made evident in our weakness We discover a new strength that we didn't know because we didn't need it. Until until we're willing to fast, sometimes we don't know the strength available to us in God. And we begin to discover it in this small way, and it unlocks us and it opens us up to how His strength is with us in other times and ways. There is something about this that allows our spiritual lives to grow. So we get still and know that He is God. You see... Our spiritual life is a lot like that vegetable plant growing in the garden. For several years, I grew a garden at the, at the house we lived in before we moved in June. And I, about five or six years ago, I thought, you know, there's so many stories about things that grow in Scripture. Jesus talked about these agricultural illustrations over and over again. So I thought, I need to try to figure out, maybe I can understand more of them if I if I'd grow a garden. It's really exciting in the beginning. Halfway through, not so exciting. By the end, you just want to burn the whole thing down. We, um, we decided to grow a garden, which required us first to prepare the soil. Because nothing grows in bad soil. You have to have good soil. you got to get the rocks out and the weeds out and the roots out. you got to mix in some good nutrition and some fertilizer and everything so that the soil is ready for whatever you plant. And then you take that seed or that seedling and you plant it. And it needs some things to grow. It needs good sunlight. So if you put it in the shade, it's not going to grow. You put it. When bad soil, it's not going to grow. It never gets any water, it's not going to grow. It gets too much water, it's not going to grow. You know the really strange thing is you can't make it grow. And it can't make itself grow. It's only when the environment is right that it grows naturally. Our spiritual lives are much the same way. We don't make ourselves grow spiritually. It's not something we do. It's something that happens naturally in the right environment. When we are planted in the soil, the rich soil of Scripture over and over again that is nourished, when the water, the living water of Jesus flows over our lives, when we expose ourselves to the light of Him and the love of Him, then we will grow naturally. But if we deprive ourselves of that focus, of those things, that environment for growth, we're not going to grow. If you never go to the gym, you're not going to get any stronger. And so we put ourselves, we create the environment for growth. And sometimes we need to stop and refocus. Every spring, I had to go back out. And somehow there were more rocks. I don't know if birds were dropping them. I don't know where they are coming from. I got them all out last year. But somehow this year, there's still more. Roots. You know the other thing that I've discovered? Is it's not about how a plant looks. It's about whether or not it produces fruit. We tried to grow zucchini one year. Whole row of them. They got huge. These plants were massive. Big leaves. Beautiful green. Not one zucchini. So mad. Big, beautiful plants. See, sometimes... Sometimes... As followers of Jesus, we spent too much energy looking like a beautiful Christian but never producing any fruit. And sometimes we just need to stop and focus and get focused on God. And fasting throughout the history of God's people has been one of the best ways to do it. It's not about getting something from God. It's about opening ourselves up to Him. And allowing him to shape us. To grow something in us that we can't grow in ourselves. Because we realize this self-control thing. Discipline. We're only really as free as we are disciplined. Those go together. Sometimes we don't think that. We don't realize that. In Psalm chapter 94, I was reading this week. And he connects the discipline of God to the joy of life and what it is is it's that discipline creates freedom. There was a time when I was about 50 pounds heavier. Our kids were small and I really wanted to play with them. I didn't have the energy to play with them. And it bothered me. I wasn't free to be the dad I wanted to be because I wasn't willing to discipline how I lived. And it wasn't until I became disciplined that I became free to get out on the basketball court or to be outside or to get on the trampoline or do any of those things. And this, this applies to every area of our lives. We're only as free as we are disciplined. Discipline creates freedom. Otherwise, we're bound by our fears Bound by our, our habits, bound by what's right in front of us and this compulsion to do whatever. When we discipline ourselves, we give ourselves freedom to choose who we'll be and what we'll do. Not lived just chasing after our desires. Discipline lives, or discipline creates freedom. So Lent, Lent like I said, is for those who are hungry for more. Hungry to go deeper, to draw closer, to see Jesus more evident in our lives. See, some of us, we never see Jesus at work in our lives because we play it so safe and keep ourselves only in environments and places that we have control and we don't need him. We never get far enough out on a limb to see him rescue us. Lent is for those who want more, but it's pure invitation. There's no obligation, no guilt. But we invite you to join us in 40 days of fasting. And that may look different for different ones of us. Like we do with any kind of discipline or discipleship, we really just have a couple questions. What is God asking you to do? And do you have the courage to do it? And how can we help? And there'll be a whole community of us who embark on this journey of fasting and we need that community. They help us have courage. They help us stay faithful when we want to give up. They remind us of who we are and why we're doing this. And this, this community comes together and we'll come together Wednesday and we'll feast and then we'll begin the fast. And it may look different for different ones of us. So I wanted to share a couple of ideas, some of the things that we've done over the years, some of the fast that we've embarked on. And, and maybe as you pray, God will, will show you something like this or something different. But maybe you just want to change the music you listen to. You've been feeding your mind with music that's not moving you toward God, and you want to change your music for 40 days. Maybe there's a, there's a habit, a bad habit that you know is not something that honors God, and you need a way to break it, and this is the beginning of breaking that habit. Maybe you just want to fast desserts. Desserts own you. You've got to have one. You've got to have that last bite of something sweet at the end. Maybe it's social media. It just has been eating up so much of your time. Maybe. This is a hard one. Maybe you want a fast. Purchasing. Choose for 40 days not to buy anything other than groceries and essentials. Maybe. Maybe it's, it's the reverse. Maybe it's donating one item each day of Lent. So you gather up 40 items over the course of Lent. You pray and you walk through your closets, your home, and you decide one thing to donate. Don't donate your trash that you don't want. Don't donate the things that you don't need anymore. Find something that costs you something and give it. Maybe, maybe it's uh, your favorite food or caffeine or, or TV. Maybe it's eating in front of the TV. Maybe you're going to fast fast food or eating out altogether and make time to prepare that meal and sit down as a family and talk about where you've seen God that day. Maybe you just want to fast one meal a day. We're going to fast lunch. And during that lunch break, I'm going to to go and I'm going to find a place and I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to take a journal and I'm going to write down my reflections and prayers. And you're going to take that 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour a day and give that to God. Invest it in a new way. Maybe it's just a new habit. And you want to set aside the same hour every day for time with God. Listening to music, prayer, reading, you know, writing, journaling, whatever it is. Maybe it's just serving. You want to commit to serve once a week. First contact or, or kids ministry or the, the food pantry or the pregnancy center or the soup kitchen. You're going to choose to add serving as a way of connecting with Jesus' heart to serve. Just pray and ask God to show you. And so maybe what happens is today, you decide, I'm going to embark on this journey. I don't know what it means. I don't know if I'm going to make it all the way. But I'm going to try. And you just spend the next couple of days between now and Wednesday. And you ask God, what do you want me to fast? Let me give you a hint, though. If it's something you like the first time, it's probably not God. It's probably your stomach. Right? If you hear God say something or you sense the leading, you're like, I don't want to fast that. That's too much. That's too hard. That's probably God. <laughs> he has a way of doing that. Sometimes I think God's a jerk. But he does it for us. He does it to bring out the best in us. He has a way of finding that thing that we've elevated too high. That thing that we go to for comfort instead of him. That thing we go to as a distraction instead of going to him and dealing with our lives. That thing we use to self-medicate, he finds it. Last night, I had this spasm with a little muscle in my back. And it was so bad, I couldn't lay down, I couldn't move. And then it started um, not just spasming, but then it would cramp up so tight that it was just in lots and lots of pain. We tried one of these little back rollers, and I was crying. And then Anita grabbed a racquetball and was using that to pinpoint the pain and break loose the cramp, which is the right thing to do. It didn't work. So I took lots of different medication, muscle relaxers, painkiller, and some... um, Sleeping stuff. What is it? Melatonin, yeah. To try to just get knocked out enough to wake up feeling better. And um, But she did the exact thing that needed it. Right? She took that racquetball, found exactly that muscle, and worked on it. Until it broke loose and it didn't own me anymore. Right? That's what God does. He finds that one little spot that's causing you pain sometimes that you don't even know. You've gotten so used to that you work around it and he works on it to loosen it up and make life better, to break it. So as you pray, if he points to something and you say, oh, that's easy, I'll do that, it's probably not him. If he said, oh, that's hard, I'm not sure I want to do that. That might be him. But pray and just decide. Don't stress over it. Just come together with us. Fa- feast. We'll have so many pancakes, we can't eat them all. All the toppings, you bring some sides, and we'll, we'll feast together. I'll answer questions about Lent, if anybody has any. If you have questions before that, and you want a message, or you to me after today, that's fine. And then we'll, we'll come in here. Kids, little ones, can go back to the nursery. And then we'll come in here, and, and we'll have a, an Ash Wednesday service. And in this service, we'll, we'll basically come in, in confession of our need for God, of repentance, and of focus. our fast on cards and we'll burn those as a symbol of giving them to god and we'll we'll take ash and we'll mark our foreheads with the symbol of a cross and as we remember our mortality we remember just how much we need god and then we'll ask for his help as we enter into this fast that we would draw close to him be transformed by him and made more like him so that as we come to easter And the celebration of new life, we're ready in a whole new way. Pure invitation. You don't have to do this. I sure hope you would. See, my job at its core is just to empower and to help each of us to be who we were created to be, to submit more of ourselves to Jesus, to open ourselves up more to Him. And I believe this helps because I've experienced it year after year after year in fresh ways. No obligation, pure invitation. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go have a homemade cookie and enjoy this beautiful day. And I'll see some of you back on Wednesday and hopefully the rest by Sunday. Let's pray.